Amen. Thank you so much to our worship team for leading us this morning. And good morning. It's good to see you all. Um, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. And if I haven't had a chance to meet you, it's such a joy to be able to worship together. Uh, one of my favorite things about Sunday mornings is being able to gather together with God's people and just worship together. And, um, you know, isn't it awesome? Some of us had uh, great days yesterday. Uh, some of us had terrible days yesterday. Um, and some of us just didn't even care about yesterday. And yet we're all here together uh, worshiping Jesus. What a gift that is to be able to just be united in that uh, front. I had a terrible sports day yesterday, and here I am just worshiping Jesus, and I love it, and I'm so thankful for you um, and thankful to be with you. Uh, we are returning to our study in the book of Acts. Um, if you have not been with us for a few weeks, um, or if this is your first time, I should say, we have been working our way through the book of Acts, and it's been a few weeks since we have been in the book of Acts, and so uh, we're returning to that, and we'll be in Acts chapter 12 if you want to open your Bibles uh, there to Acts chapter 12. But just because it has been a few weeks, let me remind you uh, just briefly of where we were when we left off in Acts chapter 11. Uh, we were looking at uh, God's word uh, was talking to us, teaching us uh, about the church in Antioch, um, this church that was far away. If we go back even further to Acts chapter 1, where Jesus had promised his disciples that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the, to the ends of the earth, and that they would receive the power, and they have gone out now. And so they have now, really, the church at Antioch is an example to us of that promise that Jesus has uh, made has been fulfilled that to the ends of the earth Antioch would have been thought of in some ways as to the ends of the earth because this far off place and the gospel has come even in this place to Gentiles not even Jewish people but to the Gentiles have been reached with the gospel which is an amazing thing uh, that has occurred in the life of the church and God we see all throughout this story we see that God building his church and establishing his church in new places and the gospel going out which reminds us one of the reasons that we study this book that God gave it to us is so that we could be reminded that the Holy Spirit who built the church in these early days as we look back at the history of the church we can have confidence that the same Holy Spirit is at work today doing what God intended it to do doing what God intends to do of building his kingdom here on the earth that is as it is in heaven we can have hope in that when we read about Antioch that Sometimes we don't have context for these cities that are ancient cities and long ago. And so let me just, I just, a few weeks ago, I had lunch, actually two weeks ago, I had lunch with a good friend of mine and he was talking to me about the gospel and the explosion of the gospel and church planting and movement of church planting that is occurring all the way over in Mumbai, India. All right, Mumbai, India, you hear that and you think the gospel is going there. Yes, the gospel has gone there and there is a church planting movement occurring in that place that is amazing. The reports from there are really amazing to hear. When you hear that, you might think to yourself, wow, that's pretty amazing. In the same way that when we read the church was, uh, had reached Antioch and all of these other cities, we should be in awe of that. It's the power of God. It's evidence of the power of God at work that that city was reached. Well, as we come to Acts chapter 12, the, Luke is going to take us sort of back. It's at the same time about in history, but Luke is going to redirect our attention to the church in Jerusalem. By the way, as we left off at the end of Acts chapter 11, it says that the needs of the church in Jerusalem and the concerns of the church in Jerusalem had reached Antioch, not just the gospel, but the word of their needing support. And the church in Antioch, being so faithful, was sending resources, financial and other means, down to Jerusalem in order to strengthen the church there. And so we see this great movement of God, that he is accomplishing his purposes and he has plans and they cannot be thwarted. But as we come to chapter 12, we're going to see that 
intentional, the heart of man sort of running right in the face of the plans of God. And we are going to ask ourselves the question, God's word is going to show us and demonstrate that the power of man versus the glory of God, there is no comparison. And we're going to look at King Herod, who had great power and great authority, and yet in the face of the glory of God had no power at all. And so if you're able, would you please stand as I read from Acts chapter 12. I'm going to read just the first 11 verses for us. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands, and the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along the street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people, all that the Jewish people were expecting. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder of your power to accomplish the plans that you have for the world. We thank you that we are a part of that, that you have redeemed us and called us to be a part of your work and so that you might receive more glory, the glory that you deserve here on the earth. So I pray that you would be glorified in our hearts today. Holy Spirit, um, would you move in power over us? I have no capacity to do anything for these dear loved ones, but you, Holy Spirit, do have the power. And so I just ask and invite you to move as we study your word. Would you shape and guide us, direct us, correct us, help us to see you. And yes, help us to glorify you in our hearts. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So Luke begins here in chapter 12 after talking to us about the church in Antioch. About that time, there is Herod the king. We see persecution is about to return to the church, and this persecution is returning to the church through the hands of Herod. The last time we saw persecution, you may, if we go back a number of chapters all the way to Acts chapter 7, we saw Stephen was stoned, and that caused the scattering of the apostles. Again, in the providential plans of God, he intended that this scattering would happen so that the church could go out, the gospel could go out, and the church could be built up and all the way to the ends of the earth. Well, as we return back to Jerusalem, persecution has picked up again, and it says that he laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He laid violent hands on Christians, these believers, those who had put their faith in Jesus. So much so that he even killed James, who was one of the apostles, James, the brother of John, killed him and has arrested Peter. He's done all of this to bring attack upon the church. 
As we think about why Herod might do this, it has helped as we look at the text. We see at the, in verse 3, it says, And when he saw this, after he had killed James, Herod became aware of the fact that the Jews were pleased by this murdering of James. And that's what led him to arrest Peter. He thought, okay, I killed one apostle. Let me kill another apostle because that will even please the Jews even more. Who is this Herod? It will help us to understand. And it will also reveal to us some of the temptations, I believe, in our own hearts. See, Herod was the king of the Jews, known as the king of the Jews, and he was ruler over this territory, all of the Jewish territory that was under the Roman rule. And he was given this authority because in his early age, he was sent off to Rome. As He was sent off to Rome to be educated, and during his education, he became friends with Claudius. He also became friends with many of the other Roman rulers of the day. And as he became friends with them, they then returned to him the favor of being friends and put him in power. It's known in history Caligula increased his rule as he was given this rule over small portions of the Jewish territory. Caligula, the Roman emperor at the time, gave him more and more. But he was always finding himself in this tension because he had to please the Roman emperor and had to do all that he was called to do for him. But he also was ruling over a Jewish territory and so keeping the peace was important. You may remember as we go all the way back, go back to Christmas. I know it's long ago. We're about to be there again. When we get to our Christmas season, we'll talk about Jesus and his birth. And we know of the Herod that, Herod that came to kill. That was his grandfather. We also know at Jesus' death or when he was arrested, those who came after him. In all of this, Pilate was intending to keep peace amongst the Jewish people. That was one of the things that the rulers had to do is trying to keep the peace. And so when Herod realizes oh, I killed one of the apostles, one of the Christians, and I'm attacking these other Christians, and the Jewish leaders, the elite, are pleased with this. He wants to do this all the more. Peter is thrown in prison. We see this persecution under the authority of the state and then endorsed by the religious elite. Herod was striving to accomplish his own purposes, We think about the idols that pursued Herod's heart and tempted Herod, power, self-preservation, his own fame. So often, aren't these some of the same idols that we are tempted to fall prey to? We want to preserve our own lives, protecting our lives, guarding our lives, whatever we need to do to sort of keep things peaceful for ourselves. Sometimes it's our own fame, whether that's in your profession, whether that's just even within your friend group, whatever that might be, this idea that we just want sort of our story to be known. We want to be known by others, and and so we don't necessarily think of fame in that way, but there's a reason that social media is what it is, is because we're all trying to be famous. We want our 15 minutes or 15 seconds, or really now it's like 0.15 seconds, right? It's less than that. We want that fame. We We want to be known. And these same idols can tempt our hearts and we'll begin to do and take actions and do things to accomplish those things similarly to the same way Herod would. Now you're saying, well, I wouldn't kill a Christian. No, you wouldn't. But we'll forsake all these other instructions because at the real root of this is a fear of man. Do we fear man more than we desire the glory of God? That was at the heart of Herod's issue. He feared the emperor He feared the Jewish leaders, and he wanted to maintain his place in the world. He just wanted to get by and keep what he thought was his. And the glory of God was not of of any concern to him. And so this is what led to these actions. And so he kills James, beheads him, it is believed. 
And then he arrests Peter, and Peter is arrested with the clear intention that he also would be murdered. He wasn't just arrested and thrown in jail this time to be released, but this time, after seeing James being killed, brought so much joy to the Jewish leaders, Herod wants to kill him as well. But by the time he gets him arrested, they're in this season, the period of Passover, uh, where it's references the unleavened bread. This celebration was a period where the Jewish leaders would not be satisfied, would not allow someone to be killed. And so he throws him in jail, and Peter is put in chains. It's interesting when we look at God's word, and this is one of the things that I want to encourage you as you study God's word, every detail, every word, the Holy Spirit inspired it to be there for a reason. And one of the reasons that Luke records for us all the details about Peter's imprisonment is so that there could not be any doubt that Peter was truly put in jail. They weren't going to be similarly to all the accounts of Jesus' resurrection and the many accounts that are in the New Testament that record the hundreds of people that witnessed Jesus alive. This is not something that, that Luke, the author of Scripture, that God did not want it to be thought of that Peter just escaped on his own, that the chains kind of just fell off. And so he gives us great detail of Peter's arrest. And when he had seized him, this is Peter being seized, he put him in prison, it says in verse 4, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. Four squads of people for one man. All right. Do you think that Herod is aware of the power of God and perhaps even fearful of that power as he's trying to ensure that he keeps what he has? He realizes he's going up against something very powerful, which is why he feels like, okay, if I just surround him with more people, if I surround him with more of my own power then I can take care of this. Down in verse six, he describes the conditions of Peter as they're sleeping at night. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, not bound with just one chain, but two chains. Two chains are on Peter's uh, body and there's guards at every door, sentries at every door and even at the exit. And then there's an iron gate that will be thrown open by the power of God we see later in the verses. We see Peter was in jail, he was in chains, and his imprisonment was undeniable. And this imprisonment, the people, the church would know, was going to lead to Peter's death. The church has lost James, one of the apostles, and now they are sure, based on the situation that they can see with their own eyes, that Peter will also be put to death, two of the apostles. By the way, one other note just that's interesting for us to see in this text. Do you remember when Judas was put to death that the apostle said, we need to replace him. We need to replace him with another one of the 12. But here, James, one of the apostles, is put to death, and he is not replaced. This is part of God's word sort of illustrating for us that the book of Acts is a transitionary book that is demonstrating how God is accomplishing his purpose. And the time of the apostles is beginning to end here. After Acts chapter 12, we're not going to hear about the church in Jerusalem anymore. And most of all of the rest of the work in the book of Acts is going to be done by Paul. We're going to turn to the ministry of Paul and all the churches that he planted. And so we see this transitionary phase in the history and the life of the church. But Peter is in jail. Peter's in prison, and the church feels helpless. More than likely, I can imagine, like many of us have experienced situations before, what should they do? And verse 5 is very instructive for us. So Peter was kept in prison under guard of 12, or excuse me, four squads of soldiers. And what does the church do? It says that they earnestly prayed for him. Earnest prayer was made to God by the church. 
That word earnest is sometimes hard for us. It's a little bit hard to find a synonym or to explain that. But it is a deep yearning for God, asking God, pleading with God to do something on Peter's behalf. The church felt helpless. They were feared with, filled with fear. More than likely, they're, of course, grieving the death of James, who was going to be someone who was beloved in the church. They're grieving the reality that they believe Peter, more than likely, will also soon die. The church is uncertain of the future because they've seen these are the apostles. These are the ones who are leading us, who are caring for us, who are shepherding our souls, who are teaching us God's word, who are reminding us all of that Jesus has done. All of those things are bound up in the fact that Peter is about to be killed. And so what do they do? They turn to prayer. This is why we so often emphasize prayer in the church. And as believers, we must pray. There are certain situations where, like the church here, we are helpless. We have no ability to fix the situation. The church had no capacity to go and, and drag Peter out of the prison on their own. They had no ability to appeal to the authorities to go to Herod and plead with him, please release him. Let us have him back. None of those things would satisfy. And in their helplessness, they turn to do the only thing that they can do, which is to pray. All we can do so often is pray. Sometimes the culture mocks us for that, mocks Christians for praying. The reality is we understand very often in life When there's nothing that we have the power to do, we must appeal to the only one who has the power to do anything, which is God. He is the one who is the sovereign over the universe, who holds all things in his hands. And so all we can do is pray. Just this year in the life of our church, we've had multiple cancer diagnoses. Multiple cancer dies where, yes, there's doctors and nurses who have the capacity to use their giftings to help, but ultimately we know that the healing that our friends, our loved ones need is in the hands of God. And so we plead with God. We earnestly pray to God. Just this week, my good friend, a friend of our church, Jason Johnson, he's preached in this church many times, was the first guest in the history of our church, a guest preacher to come and preach for us all those almost 10 years ago. His daughter is in the ICU with a condition that even the doctors have no understanding of what is happening to her body. And all we can do is pray for Jason and his daughter. Some of you have experienced grief. and Maybe perhaps even in the throes of grief today, you're grieving loss. You're grieving the loss of a loved one, a friend. And when we face those conditions, those situations, all we can do is earnestly pray to God. Whether it's your marriage professional concerns, family situations, your children and their future, all of those things, all we have the ability to do is to pray and ask God to intervene. And we're not silly for doing that. We're not wrong for doing that. There are times where God in his grace allows us to be put in situations where we can no longer depend on ourselves and find strength within ourselves. We have to cry out to God, the almighty one, for his help. And it's his kindness that we're able to do that, that we're allowed to call out to him. Sometimes he uses those situations where we get to the end of our own ability, where we have no capacity to fix the situation, we don't have any wisdom, we don't know what to do, and we appeal to him, we pray, and we ask him for his help because it reminds us that we are dependent upon him. 
See, one of the things that Herod did not have in his own self-absorbed state, in his belief that he was all-powerful, that he was king, that he was sovereign over all things, he had no ability to see his need for God. He had no ability to acknowledge that God was bigger than him. We need to be a people who quickly and often and frequently remind ourselves that we are dependent upon God alone. And it's a good thing that we find ourselves being dependent upon the Lord. Earnest prayer was made for Peter. We need to earnestly pray for the situations that we find ourselves in. We need to pray to the one person who has the ability to do anything about it, the God of the universe, friends. Why do we so quickly forget to pray? Why is that so often such a challenge for us? We're honest. I look at my own life. Again, it's because I think I have all the ability on my own. And I forget that I need to rely on God. And so I seek Him. So the church prayed. And in response to the church's prayer, God moved. We see that Peter was released. It says that in verse 7 an angel of the Lord came as Peter was asleep asleep between two guards with chains on his hands. An angel of the Lord came and struck him on the side and woke him up and said, get up quickly. I've never been awoken by an angel. I imagine that would be quite the startling experience to be awoken by an angel and told to do something. Peter was so startled by this situation and kind of caught off guard by being awoken by an angel that he believed he was dreaming. He thought he was just in a dream. But he was about to experience something that was better than a dream. The angel awakes him. The chains immediately fall off his hands. There was no human intervention in those chains falling off his hands. They just fell off his hands, God's word says. He puts on his clothes and the angel leads him out. As the angel leads him out, no one is awakened. They pass the first and the second guard. They come to the iron gate. Again, no human intervention takes place. The gate swings open. And Peter is released. And Peter realizes in that moment as he awakes and sort of realizes the situation that has occurred, that yes, he is experiencing real life and it is better than a dream. He's been rescued from Herod. Verse 11, Peter, it's as if he's recording for us, Luke telling us exactly what Peter says. Peter came to himself and he says, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel. This isn't a dream. I'm not just sort of envisioning this, but no, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. He's rescued from Herod. Not only Herod, he's rescued from the expectations that the Jewish people, those authorities, thought that they may be putting him to death and putting an end in their hopes, once again, striving to put an end to Christianity. And in all of this, we're reminded of the power, again, of God, the power of God. See, Peter, if you don't know his story, Peter was told by Jesus that he would be the one upon which Jesus would build his church. Peter denied Jesus at the crucifixion, said, I never was a part of that group. I didn't know him at all. And then Jesus post resurrection meets Peter, restores him, and gives him and entrusts to him a ministry. And that ministry is to build the church. 
And Jesus had promised to use Peter to build his church. Upon this rock, he says, Jesus says to Peter, I will build my church. And it's that promise that Jesus is accomplishing even now in Peter's life. And so when Herod came against Peter, he wasn't coming against Peter himself. He was coming up against the plans of God to build his church. And those plans could not be thwarted. They could not be changed. They could not be stopped. See, Jesus had made a promise to Peter. And that promise, Jesus would keep his word to fulfill that promise. And not even the king and every ruler, every authority on earth could stop what God intended to do in that moment. Isn't that encouraging for us? I hope that your, that your heart is stirred up in you as you think about all of the circumstances that you face. And yes, even some of those earthly circumstances where it feels as if rulers and authorities and those over you, those involved in your life are pushing against every single thing that God would intend for you to do. You can trust that God will accomplish his purposes and his plans for your life and to build his kingdom through you and with you. They cannot be stopped. Nothing can get in the way from God accomplishing that. And when we realize that, we can be filled with hope because in the same way that Jesus told Peter, I will build my church and I'm going to use you to do it, he wasn't done with him. Peter had gone to Cornelius' house and he had led Cornelius and his family to faith, but there was much ministry yet for Peter to do. And so until God said otherwise, Peter would fulfill that ministry that he had been given. This teaches us one of the most important lessons that we can have in life, and I hope that we all would remember it. If you're new in this church, you're going to hear me say this often. But God's glory, his glory, is what is at stake. And whatever is for his, that leads to God being glorified most is always going to be for our best good. His glory will always lead to our greatest good. Whatever we're doing in our lives as we pursue his glory and we pursue him, we can know that as we pursue his glory here through our lives, through the ministry that we've been given, through the relationships that we have, whether it's in our family relationships, whether it's at work, whether it's through friends, whether it's through our service in the church, as we strive to live for his glory, it's always going to be for our greatest good. You don't have to have any doubts about that. If you're curious, sometimes I know I talk about this often, you're wondering, well, what is God's will for my life? One of the questions that I'd encourage you to ask, instead of asking what God's will for your life is, what would bring God the most glory in in this situation because if it's going to bring God the most glory in this situation I can promise you it will be what is best for you I don't have to be told to love my wife as Christ loved the church because God has told me that in his word and if I ever have a doubt about that and we're facing that situation and we're squared off and she's looking at me and I'm looking at her all I got to say is Jesus what would bring you the most glory okay yes ma'am you're right I'm wrong thank you <laughs> it's always going to be for my greatest good whatever brings the most glory to God is going to be for my greatest good. You're wondering if you should go next door and share Christ and the gospel with your neighbor, if you should love them, if you should extend just fellowship to that neighbor. I can promise you that you don't have to really ask a question about that. I know I'm using simple examples here, by the way. You don't have to ask a question about that. If that's going to bring God glory, it's going to be for your greatest good. And where we detract from that, where Herod missed the point of this, is he was always looking out was what would bring him the most glory. And we fall into the same temptation. What would bring me the most glory? What would allow my fame to increase? This is why we spent an entire weekend and then an extra weekend last weekend reminding ourselves it's not about me. It is his name and his fame that we are after, his glory on the earth. So that leaves us with really, as we think about this and the challenge that, that faces us, 
an opportunity or questions. Will we fear man? Will we desire our own glory? And as a result of that, do all that we can to appease people here? Or will we fear the Lord? Will we have a proper reverence for God? See, like Herod, so often we are tempted to seek the power that we believe will ultimately give us security. And that plays itself out in so many different ways. If you think about all of your earthly relationships, I just want to encourage you or challenge you with this. Think about every relationship that you have, whether it's a spousal relationship, a friendship, a business relationship, whatever those circumstances, those relationships look like. So often, out of fear of man, we make and take actions in order to just keep ourselves safe or to allow ourselves to remain in some sense of power. That's the same temptation that Herod faced. When we seek power that we believe will give us security, we're going to be tempted. You have been tempted. We are tempted like that. In the heart of that is being tempted to fear God more or fear man more than we fear God. But here's the opportunity. We have an opportunity likewise to trust in the power of God, to trust in the power of God. How do we trust in the power of God? We do that as we pray, as we seek God. We come to him in prayer. This is one of the most amazing truths. It just blows my mind every time I think about it. God, in his sovereignty, had a perfect plan for Peter's life. Jesus had said, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to use you to do it. And his plan was perfect, and he would do exactly what he intended to do through Peter. And God accomplished that sovereign plan, that big plan that only God knew through the prayers of his people. As his people prayed earnestly on behalf of Peter, the sovereign plan of God worked itself out. That amazes me, that God accomplishes his plans, his big plans for us in answer and uses our prayers to answer them. My mind is blown by that. Y'all seem a little bit kind of not caught off guard by that statement, but you should be amazed. You should have more awe in your face right now as you think about that the sovereign plans of God are accomplished in answer to his people's prayer. That's amazing. And the beautiful thing about that is the reality is, is that God does this, again, so that he would be glorified in his hearts because he does things that we have no capacity or ability to do. What an amazing truth that is. So let us be face or, or, or respond to the temptations that come our way as we see God through prayer. And once again, be reminded that as we trust God, we trust God that God is bigger than us, is over us all, that when he is most glorified in our lives, that is what will lead to our greatest good. Our worship team is going to lead us in a song that has become a prayer for our church. I hope for you it is a prayer for me as I sing it every time. It's my prayer for our church that we would be a people who depend on God and dependent, being dependent on God, we seek to abide in him. Last week, I preached a sermon on the text that this song is written from, John 15, that we would be a people who abide in him. And we need to ask God to help us with that because, again, the temptation, the challenge for us is to drift away and to think that we can do it all on our own, to think that if we just kind of have our own safety and our own power, we're going to be okay. But let us be a people who abide in Christ and are so dependent upon him that we yield our lives completely to him. And the promise that Jesus made to us in John 15 
is that if we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. The fruit of his gospel will, will come forth in our lives. We'll see that hope. So as the worship team leads us, I just invite you to pray this prayer. Help us to abide. Help me to trust God. Help me to depend on you. Let's respond through song. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m., and we look forward to meeting you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God, the good of the city, and the hope of the world. Oh, oh you say.